0: Welcome to Oak Ridge Bible Chapel. My name is Alice, and I'm one of the members of this church family. And we are so excited to have you join us today. So grab your Bible, your tablet, your notebook, pens, pencils, whatever it is that will help you engage most with today's sermon. And please enjoy our Sunday message.
1: As you may know that I'm a medical doctor, I graduated from the University of Toronto many years ago not long after Noah came out of the ark. (laughs) But when as a 20-year-old I came on my own to the big city from a small town in southern Ontario to start medical school, I was not feeling very hopeful of success. I remember sitting that first day in the class of 180 and thinking, I am the dumbest person here. Sooner or later, they will discover that, and they will send me home. (laughs) At my first lab, I was struggling to find my way. Noticing my distress, a lab assistant, a kindly older gentleman by the name of Harry, came over to help me. Seeing my name tag, he spoke to me. How can I help you, Dr. Rennie? Dr. Rennie? I'm not a doctor at all, but this man thinks I'm about to become one. That was a God-given word of hope to me that fueled my early days at medical school. We all need such fuel today because hope is a wonderful thing. Hope is faith directed towards the future. It is confidence in what is to come. For Christians, our future is a glorious thing. This is one of the key teachings in the book of Revelation as Josiah has been taking us through that beautiful book at the end of the Bible. I can remember last year saying, Josiah, why not Revelation? And he says, I still haven't got there yet. I'm still working on it. And then finally, he, in the summertime, he said to the elders, okay, I'm in, I'm on. We're going to do the book of Revelation. Another book of hope in the scriptures is the book of the Thessalonians, First and Second Thessalonians. Seven of the eight chapters in these two books highlight the coming of the Lord Jesus. All through these two letters, the Holy Spirit is wanting us to embrace hope. It is what we need to strengthen us for living today. When you have strong hope for the future, you have the power and you have the direction to live well today. And Christians know that our future is not here in this world, but with Christ in glory. We are the children of God, and we're heading for heaven. The Lord is coming soon to take us there. So let's see what the Lord has for us in the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And... Uh, putting up some of these verses so that you can follow along. I'm going to be referring to a number of verses and perhaps in quick succession, so you'll be able to follow along quickly. Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us, To the effect that the day of the lord has come now paul had just spent several months in thessalonica when due to jewish opposition he was led to leave the fledgling community of believers and go on to corinth when he got to corinth he immediately wrote a letter back to the to the thessalonians to encourage them that's first thessalonians then he got a message that the christians had been thrown into alarm over a letter or a prophecy, or a word, which supposedly had come from Paul but was misinformation. To put it in the parlance of today, it was fake news. Now, fake news is something quite unknown to us because our news outlets are so reliable and so factual, right? Not so. Misinformation abounds today, and so for us it's even hard to know the truth, but for them, this misinformation said that the day of the Lord was already taking place. <clears throat> now, The day of the Lord is a common theme in the Old Testament prophecies. What is the day of the Lord? It's an extended period of time when God deals with the Jews and with all the world in judgment, and then he brings in blessing afterwards. So that they thought they were already facing the darkest days of Earth's history. They were facing... The deep trouble that was going to become becoming on, on, on the world as a result of God's judgments. And perhaps the trials they were experiencing were confirming this false belief because they were in trial. There was severe opposition from the Jews and the Roman Caesar Claudius was beginning to persecute the Christians in Rome as well. Maybe they thought Claudius was the Antichrist. And perhaps they thought that Jesus had already come for his own and they had missed out on it. That would be a most distressing thought, to miss the coming of the Lord. So Paul quickly writes this second letter in order to reassure the believers by repeating what he had already told them. It says in verse 5 of Second Thessalonians, this very thing, he says, do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? Now that's interesting, you see, he's just spent a few months with these believers and they've just come to Christ. They were new believers. And what does he teach them? Prophecy. Now, a lot of people would say, that's just not on. You don't teach new believers prophecy because, you see, that's a, that's a second line or third line teaching. You don't teach prophecy because, you see, you could confuse them. And. Uh, uh, there's 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 perhaps a lot of debate in what's going to happen in the future and so you don't touch those things We just preach the gospel, and that's what we do Well, Paul didn't get that memo when he came to, Thessalon- to, to Thessalonica He taught them prophecy. He says don't you remember that when I was with you I was going over these things with you so we do well to listen to what Paul is saying, to what, the Holy, and to what the Holy Spirit is saying in the book of Revelation, in the book of Thessalonians, and another passage of Scripture. Fully one quarter of the Scriptures are prophecy. So we must not neglect it. We neglect it to our weakness and shame. Now, we're going to be benefited when we look at prophecy, but before we do this review, I just want to remind you that the war between Israel and Hamas in Gaza has brought the issue of Christ's soon return and the day of the Lord into sharp focus. Events in the Middle East are unfolding before our eyes at rapid pace. We pray for those who are in the path of the war. But what we are talking about here in 2 Thessalonians is capable of taking place today or tomorrow or next week we could be at the very door of the unfolding of these events upon us. And so Christians say, bring it on. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. So here's the order of events that Paul relates to, to the, the Thessalonians in order to help them remember once again this, the key features of the day of the Lord. Let's go on into, into verse 3. It says, now... Thessalonians, let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. Unless the apostasy comes first. Before the day of the Lord unfolds, Paul says to the Thessalonians, there's going to be great apostasy. What does apostasy mean? It means rebellion it comes as the day of the Lord begins and and it's a a great departure from the faith it's a rebellion against God's truth and God's ways by those who had previously given some pretended obedience to the truth but never bowed the knee to christ or trusted him as savior in first timothy chapter 4 verse 1 paul also says this the spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. What do demons teach? They always teach lies. And so the demons are, are infiltrating the church, uh, helping people to, to believe lies and to pervert the truth and to introduce uh, error. Now this has been happening down through the ages. Christian churches that once were true to God have lost their way and have abandoned the faith. Notice verse 7 of our chapter because it says this very thing. It says, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. But from what we read, there was no apostasy in the Thessalonian church yet. On the contrary, Paul commends them for their faith and their perseverance. Therefore, this was surely intended to comfort the believers in Thessalonica. No apostasy yet. But for us, It's happening all around us at an an alarming rate, and what will happen in the future will be unprecedented. There are many churches that have a cross at the front of their church. There are many churches that have Christian symbols at the front of their church, but when you go inside and you listen to what is being taught, they do not believe in Jesus, he's a myth. They don't believe in the word of God. The word of God is not reliable. They don't believe in the work of Christ. It was all myth. They don't believe in the death and the resurrection and the coming again of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they don't practice Christian virtues as a result. This is apostasy. And yet, what is happening around us is child's play compared to the apostasy. It says the the apostasy. And in the Greek, there's a definite pronoun there. In other words, it's an apostasy like no other. It's going to come. The King James calls it a falling away and other translations call it the apostasy using the definite article. There will be wholesale defection from the truth by many over a very short period of time. We will speak more of this in a minute. But the second feature of the coming of of the the day of the Lord is this. It says in verse 3 and verse 4, And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Now, he's called the man of lawlessness because he violates all the laws of God. He doesn't follow the law, but he will impose strict law on everybody else because he will become the leader. Other scriptures give us a description of this man and his actions. We've already seen this man in our study in the book of Revelation in chapter 13. It says in in chapter 13, verse verse 4, Who is like the beast, this man of lawlessness? Who is like the beast who is able to wage war with him? He will be a very dynamic and powerful military leader, quickly gathering power to himself. Now I believe that this man is walking the earth today. I really do believe that the coming of the Lord is near. We don't know who he is. We don't know him yet, but he hasn't been revealed. But I believe that he's walking the earth today. He's a very powerful man. He will be a shrewd politician who convinces all the religious people and especially the Jews that he's the good guy. Regarding this man of lawlessness, Daniel's prophecy says this, once again, you don't have to go back, it's up on the screen, he will confirm a covenant with many for one seven, which is seven years, but in the middle of the seven, three and a half years, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering, and on a wing of the temple he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Daniel 9 and 27. Now that's what is being referred to in verse 4 of our text. He opposes and exalts himself above every so-called god or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God displaying himself as being God. So he's going to be sympathetic to to religious worship but in the middle of the seven years he's going to say nope. It's all done. He will make a treaty of seven years for peace for the Jews, allowing them to worship, and then he's going to break the deal. And then he's going to enter into the temple and desecrate it with his presence. And he's going to, to to sit down in the temple. Now there's only one seat in the temple. Do you know what it is? It's the mercy seat. It's the place of God's presence, the mercy seat. You know what he's going to do? He's going to walk into that holy place that's been erected in Jerusalem. It's not there yet, it's going to be built. And he's going to sit in the very place of God's presence. And he's going to say, I'm it. Worship me. So he's referring to the Jews who, during the tribulation, will build a temple in Jerusalem. And they are preparing to build that temple even today. His rule will be upheld by Satan. Look at verses 9 and 10. It says in this. It says, that is, the one who's coming is in accord with the activity of Satan with all power and signs and false wonders and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. So he's going to be empowered by the evil one. And in this way Satan will deceive the unbelievers and they will believe that this guy is it. He's the leader that we're looking for. He's the man of peace. We're just hearing about Jesus brings in the peace. They're going to believe that this is the peacemaker. They're going to believe he's going to bring peace in the Middle East. They're going to believe he's going to bring peace to the world. And they're going to worship him. But as if their own blinded eyes were not enough, God will add a layer of blindness as well. And it says in verse 11, For this reason... God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. Now this reminds me of the, of the, the blindness that God gave to Pharaoh when Pharaoh's heart was hardened. He, Moses came and, and, and with the judgments against the, 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 it, uh, Egypt, he said, let my people go and And Pharaoh said, yes, we're hurting, you can go. And then he changed his mind. And then after he changed his mind several times, it says God hardened his heart. God blinded his eyes to the reality of the situation. God says, Pharaoh, I'm going to do a work in you. And I'm going to confirm you on your path of disobedience and on your path of destruction. Today, there's judicial blindness. In the book of Romans, Romans chapter 9 and 10 tells us there's just judicial blindness in the eyes of the Jews today. And in the tribulation, the eyes of many Jews will be opened. The blindness will be lifted, but those who reject Jesus, both of Jew and Gentile, will be blinded at this time because they rejected the gospel. So this meant hope to them because, you see, the temple was still... Up, sacrifices were still being made. The Thessalonians were encouraged that they weren't in the day of the Lord because this had not happened yet. And then the next event that happens after the man of, of lawlessness is revealed that Jesus Christ comes again. It says in verse eight, "Whom the, the Lord will slay with the breath of His mouth, and bring to an end by the appearance of His coming." Christ will come again to defeat with the, with the breath of his mouth the sword of the spirit as we have seen in Revelation chapter 19. It says a, he's going to come on a, on a white horse with a sword coming out of his mouth and with it he will judge the nations. All he has to do is speak and his enemies will be defeated. He's going to defeat him with the word of his mouth. Christ will gloriously return as the conquering king and all his enemies will be vanquished. So we've got We've got this order of events. There's going to be a departure from the truth. There's going to be an apostasy. There's going to be the appearance of the man of lawlessness. And the trouble on the world was going to follow from that. And then finally, the Lord himself will appear at the end of this seven years. But wait. He says something more. As we, re- as we return to our text, Paul adds an intriguing comment in verse 6. He says in verse he says this, and you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he will be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. It's kind of a a, a mysterious statement, because Paul in the immediate context does not explain what the restrainer is. So what is the restrainer? It says in verse 6, you know what restrains him now. And then he says in verse 7, only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. So the restrainer is a what in verse 6, and it's a he in verse 7. Now I'm going to cut to the chase and tell you what I think it is, and then I'm going to tell you why I think it is, all right? I believe that restrainer here is the presence of the Holy Spirit in the church and the what is the church and the he is the Holy Spirit. So what you have today is church, Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit has an official home, a place to dwell on earth. And what's going to happen is that that dwelling place of the Spirit is going to be removed. That's us. That's why he says at the opening of this chapter two, he says, we request you in regard, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus and our gathering together to him. We're going to be gathered together to be with the Lord. And the restraint will be removed because the church, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, is the restrainer. Now, some people say it's just the Holy Spirit in both verses. But there's a big reason why that is not the case. You see, the Spirit is not going to leave the world at this time. You know why I know that? Because during the tribulation period, He's going to be fully active and millions of people are going to get saved. During the tribulation, there's going to be so many people who will come to Christ. People who perhaps have not heard the gospel before. They're going to be ministered to. And as we remember back in Revelation chapter 7, I'm so glad that we've got a foundation now in Revelation, you see, because then we can refer to it. Back in Revelation chapter 7, it says 144,000 of God's people are going to be sealed during this time. Sealed for a purpose, and they're Jews. And then it says there's going to be hundreds of thousands of people who are gathered before the throne after these these 144,000 people are are, are sealed. What's happening there? Can you imagine the Apostle Paul and his power to evangelize? He did a great job. I believe that when God seals these Jews, he seals them for the purposes of evangelism. And they're going to become such wonderful evangelism uh, evangelizers. They're like 144,000 Apostle Pauls roaming the earth. And they're going to preach the gospel to every creature. And they're going to make our efforts at evangelism pale by comparison. Because they're going to go and make Jesus known. Did you know that that's why God chose the Jews in the first place? To be the light of the world. To be the light, to bring the, the, the gospel to the nations. And they failed. They failed, and that's why they were put aside. And that's why the church today is carrying the mantle of being the light. But when the Lord takes the church home, he's going to go back and finish the job with the Jews. And he's going to make them the evangelizers of this world. They're in unbelief today. Now we have, we have Stephen with us, you see, and he's Jewish. And we have others here who are Jewish. You know what? I'm so glad you're here and that you're, you're, you're God's chosen people by nation, but you're God's chosen people by the Spirit and you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. But one day, God's going to rescue the nation of Israel. Do they deserve it? No. But they're chosen. And God's going to finish the job and make them do what they were intended to do in the first place. But today... We're the restrainer. We're the restrainer. And so I would say that it's not the, just the Holy Spirit, it's the Holy Spirit embodied in the church. Now, Paul has already told the Thessalonians how, what's going to happen to us. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we refer to it in our study in Revelation. I believe Josiah went back to it. And, and that's First Thessalonians chapter 4, 16 and 17. This is what's going to happen to the church. that The restrainer is going to be removed. This is what it says in verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Church, taken away. Meet the Lord in the air, to be with the Lord forever. So it's the church that that is being taken. But is there scripture to indicate that the church is itself the restraining influence? Yes. Jesus says so. He says it in Matthew chapter 5. He says, You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Now, what does salt do? Well, it retards corruption. It preserves food. You know, in Zambia, when I lived there, they they didn't have refrigerators. And so how would they preserve their food? How would they preserve their fish caught? You know what? They would salt those fish. What does light do? Light preserves as well. It dispels darkness. It purifies things. Jesus himself is saying that the church is salt. The church is light in the world. The church is the restrainer of evil. And when that church is removed, then the man of lawlessness comes. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus says this concerning the church, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The church will endure by God's power and grace, but when Christ is finished building his church and takes his home to glory, only then will the Antichrist, this man of lawlessness, this beast, be allowed to come. Only then will the great apostasy occur. So the corrected order of events is this. Thessalonians, this is what you've got to remember, you're the restrainer, when you are removed. The apostasy comes. When the apostasy comes, the man of lawlessness is revealed. When the man of lawlessness has had his day, then the Lord Jesus will come in, in his second coming. A further word about the apostasy. I believe this great apostasy is the result of the darkness that descends on this earth because the true church is gone. We are the light of the world. And this congregation of believers is called, in the scriptures, a lampstand. We are a lampstand. And when the lampstand is, re- is removed, then there is great darkness. The church is gone. And uh, if you're not a believer today and you say, well, next week I'm coming to Oak Ridge and see what's going on there, and the Lord comes this week. When you come to Oak Ridge, you're not going to find many people because most of us, and I trust all of us, are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we will be taken to be with the Lord, and this place, hopefully, will be empty. But perhaps you're holding out against the Lord, and you show up on Sunday morning, Somehow you get in. I hope you don't meet anybody here. All right? But then you're going to go and you're going to try to find a place. You might wander to another church to see what's happening there. And there's going to be similar issues there. People are gone. In some churches, in some churches most of the people will still show up on Sunday. Because they don't believe in Jesus anymore. So you'll join the congregation and you're not going to hear about Jesus anymore. You're going to hear about the beast. You're going to hear about the good things that are happening in the world. You're going to hear about how God took all those nasty Christians away because they were just causing trouble. And let's go on. And let's be good Christians and let's follow. I tell you this it's going to be a sad day for you because if you've already heard the gospel and you have rejected the gospel you've heard the, 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 the sweet words of Jesus Christ beckoning you to trust in Him and you have rejected that, then by the testimony here of Second Thessalonians chapter 2 You will be a prime target to be deceived by the Antichrist. You say, no, I won't. I won't be deceived by the Antichrist. Yes, you will. Because you have rejected Christ, the light, you will embrace the darkness. It will be so easy for the Antichrist to deceive you. And the Lord will add his seal upon that and say, yes, you rejected Christ today, you will reject him tomorrow. That's chilly. I hope none of us is in that position. I hope none of us is in that position. Now, having given them much enlightenment regarding the events to come, he now gives them much encouragement. It says in chapter two, verse 13 and 14, it says this, but we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation by the spirit and faith in the truth. It was for this he called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So much of the professing church does not believe that they're secure in Christ. In fact, if you believe that you're secure in Christ and you have salvation forever in the Lord Jesus Christ because of his promises, you are in the minority as a believer in the Lord Jesus because most of the professing church does not believe in the security of the believer. But this verse makes me believe otherwise. I am secure in Christ. I have been chosen from the beginning for salvation. I have come to faith in Christ. He has called me through the gospel that I may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Does it sound like there is any... What if, perhaps, maybes in that is it it is so definite when I put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I I will gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. I will not face the darkness that is descending on this world. But how do you know you're chosen? How do you know you're saved? Well, if you call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. If you confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans chapter 10 verse 9. I got saved when I was 10 years old. It was a fear of missing out on salvation that really brought me to repent. They'd been holding a series on prophecy and on revelation that summer at, at uh, Turner Road Gospel Chapel in Windsor. And I was listening to that teaching and I started to get afraid that the Lord was coming. But somehow in my little mind, I was a holdout from Christ. I didn't want to trust in the Lord because I thought thought perhaps the Lord was going to steal my fun. I wanted to have some fun with sin before I, I trusted in the Lord Jesus. But I heard this teaching, and it was in my heart, and it got me feeling fear. You know, fear is a good thing if it motivates you to do what is right. It is grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. You say, well, God doesn't want us to have fear. Oh, yes, he does. It's the proper thing. If you're here today and you're not trusting the Lord and you don't have the fear of God, you are in deep trouble. You need the fear of God because he is the one who controls all of life and he, he determines our eternal destiny, whether we go to heaven or whether we go to hell. And as a little boy of 10 years old, that fear was on my heart. And I knew the Lord was going to take his people home, and I knew my older brother Peter was a Christian. And so I'd get up out of my bed at night, and I would wander into Peter's room, and I'd look to see if he was still in bed. And if he was still in bed, it meant I still had time. And one night I thought to myself, This is crazy. Why am I doing this? Lord Jesus, save me, come into my heart be my savior and I didn't have to go to Peter's bed ever again to to check out and see if he was there because I knew I would go to be with the Lord if he came again do you have that insur- assurance that you belong to Jesus and you will go with him when he comes to call the saints to glory it says in verse chapter 2 verse 15 so then brethren stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught whether by word of mouth or by letter or from us there's a lot of false teaching today How do we get rid of false teaching? How do we stand firm in the Word of God? By studying it. And that's why believers at Oak Ridge Bible Chapel meet together with open Bibles. And we study the Word. What is the antidote to lies? It's the truth. And so we've got to saturate our minds with the truth of God. If you're not in a Bible study, if you're not studying the Word today, you're exposed to the lie. Get studying your Bible. That's what he says. Stand firm and hold to the teaching of the scriptures. And then the third thing he tells them to do is this. Serve him while there is still time. He says in chapter 2, verse 16, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word not just so that we can sit and feel good about ourselves for being Christians and wonder how good it's going to be in the future. We need to get busy and serve the Lord today while there's still time. We need to love our neighbors. And the best way to love your neighbor is to tell them about Jesus. We need to share Christ with those around us. Remember, we are the restrainers. We're the lights in this world, and the Lord Jesus says, let your light so shine that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Steve, you quoted that verse, and that, that's, that was the verse right at the end of my sermon. All right, Yeah, let your light so shine that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. We need to shine Jesus to those around us. Around us. May the Lord help us to be good and faithful witnesses and to serve him and to love him while there is still day. Let's pray.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today. For more sermons and other resources, you can visit our website at www.obridgebiblechapel.org To listen to our weekly podcast, Word Processing, you can go to Spotify or Apple Podcasts or any other podcasting platform. Remember, you can always join us in person or on our live stream at 10.30 a.m. on Sundays.